or forfeit their very self. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. I'm reading from the message translation, so this is going to be way different than what you get. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And even from our children's story, I think I'd add the unashamed. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. How's that? Okay, that's good. All right, welcome everyone. Good to see you this morning. Thanks, Randall, for uh, leading our, opening us up and reading the scripture and for your honesty. We receive it with grace. And um, the words about redeeming the universe, I felt like I was on the way to church this morning and saw a pheasant and I they're, they've been rare, I think, in my since we um, the last 10, 15 years. But uh, feels like they've been redeemed. They're coming back. Thanks, Kate, for wherever she went, leading. Okay, and Leanne for the great piano music, and John for this story. And John, it feels like you had some inside knowledge about that ticket. Was it, <laughs> it wasn't you by any chance, was it? Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're grateful uh, too this morning is that the Potters could go on vacation, have a good time away to Door County, Wisconsin, where they do a lot of sailing, right, in the bays and a lake. And uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but, but Pastor Eric is a great runner. He also sails. We have video. I'm sailing! I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Okay. I think that was him. Or his twin brother. One of them. It's great to have a pastoral family with a sense of humor. All of them. <laughs> they are really reflections of God to us. 
and to me. So we're thankful for them. And uh, that's where we're going. Remember, the Reflections of God is our theme for the Enneagram series this uh, summer. And uh, Eric did really a masterful job of um, introducing that. Really, it was an invitation. I feel like it was an invitation to us to go on that journey, a long journey, um, possibly, a journey worth taking. Um, but this is only the beginning. And there may be parts of it that may be a little uncomfortable to us and unsettling as things kind of get revealed. Um, and, and the journey will last clearly the rest of our lives. But the journey is not, just some reminders, and uh, Eric had some good warnings about it last Sunday. But even though some things might be revealed about yourself, some of those false self things that he talked about, those are never for condemnation um, or for us to try to perfect ourselves, be perfect. I find that as the Enneagram, as I've experienced it and walked with it for maybe three or four years, um, really works humbleness in me, I hope, and also will bring thankfulness, ultimately. Um, so he did a fine job, and it is a huge topic, and so that does, I do have a bit of nervousness about it, about sharing about it, because um, I'm certainly no expert um, I've not done as intense study as many people into it or experienced it as long. But honestly, I w I'm going to step back with a story. I'm not as nervous as I was two weeks ago here. Two weeks ago here, I came and was invited to be an usher, kind of at the last minute. And I had never done this. And so we, we were standing at the back getting ready to come up. I happened to be in the middle to come up to do the offering. And I, honestly, my heart was pounding. I, mean, I have never done, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm a total rookie here. Now, there's a lot of anxiousness. And, um, and, and John Garber was on the other side. And he, he must have noticed that in some way. And I looked over at him he, and he said three words. He said, just follow me. I don't know if you remember that. Just follow me. I mean, have you ever heard those words when you really needed them? Just follow me. And that's in our foundational verses that uh, Randall read. I think those are going to be put up there from Luke 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily, I think, should probably be there. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? And I think Eric talked about in there that... Um, this, at the end, your very self can be kind of your true self, who God really made you to be. You can kind of insert that into there. And what you're losing is your false self. 
those things we walk in and do that aren't really who we are, who God made us to be. But we've sort of just fallen into this pattern, into this ditch. So this is key to our Enneagram journey, I believe, is to do it in companionship. Eric mentioned that word last week. Companionship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just going to be another thing we check off our list. You know, and I have my list, and so I'll talk about that later. And it's just going to be one and done, and it's over. But this is not like that. That will not lead us to transformation. That will not take us down that road of being truly transformed and changed. And so the other verses we had there were kind of how it could be like on this Enneagram journey, on our journey from Matthew. So I've got that scripture up here again. There it is. Can you read that? It's, do you know what language it is? It's Arabic, actually. That, that picture got, was brought back from the... Palestine by my grandparents, Grandpa and Grandma Kennel in the 50s. And it is Matthew 11, 20 through 30. At least it's the first. It might just be, I'm not absolutely sure. <laughs> it might be all two verses or it might just be a, one word. I, I don't know. Only thing I can recognize is 11. You see the 11 there, down at the bottom. But those are those words, again, from Matthew 11, 28 how it could be. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make, to take a real rest. Walk with me. So again, that idea of following, being with, and work with me. Watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything ill-fitting or heavy on you. Keep company. Follow me. Walk with me. Be with me. And you'll live freely and lightly. I like to, I like to think of that as um, f- not just following behind, but kind of being, it's walking with, companionship with, kind of shoulder to shoulder, kind of a walking, as opposed to just blindly following behind. So I think if we're willing to listen to make space, to slow down, to companion, we will recover our lives. We will recover our true selves. And who doesn't want to do that? Right? I, I do. I want to do that. And Jesus is the best companion as we talk about the Enneagram because he reflected all nine of these, the, the numbers on that Enneagram chart. He integrated them, which is the desire for ourselves and for our church community too. Not just for me, for all of us. So that's where we're going this morning. Um, we're going to talk about nine. That's my task, is to look at that particular number, which is the peacemaker. It's the top. Um, that doesn't mean it's the best. Wow. <laughs> no, it's not. Again, Eric mentioned that's a warning. You know, we're, They're all equally important. Jesus was all of these. These are all reflections of God. We all tend to fall into one of these. um, One of these numbers. We are all 
desiring to integrate like Jesus into and integrate all of them into our lives in some significant way um, as we go on with our lives. So we're going to talk about that. Let's just quickly pray briefly as we start this journey this morning. We're grateful, God, to have gathered, to have um, desired even to come. We just pray you'd meet us here together, not just us personally, individually, but meet us all as a church family um, as we walk through some of these points of the Enneagram this morning. May they bring life to us, truly, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read just a little bit of some descriptors of the nine um, and see if any of this resonates with you. And you know, all of these things that I say, all of us kind of walk in these things at some points in our lives. But some of us walk more in some of this. And this may resonate and, and ring true more with some of you as I read some of these descriptions. And they're from uh, Doug and Adele Calhoun is who actually wrote these. So the true self of a nine, the peacemaker, when they're in walking and functioning in great health, they are attracted to peace, harmony, and unity. They like being calm, receptive, reassuring, non-pretentious, and relaxedly focused, whatever that means. They tend to be warm and loving and want to make the world a more ordered, conflict-free place to live. Nines are even-tempered and diffuse intensity with their ability to mediate and calm, kind of spread calm simply by being present. They reflect that God is the author of peace. Now that's a healthy Nine, walking in that, in good health. And they bring, uh, not, this isn't just for themselves. You've noticed a lot of words in there, I, I think, that talk about to make the world a more ordered place, right? To diffuse intensity in a, maybe a difficult situation, a, a, a time of conflict, and to bring calm. So it's for... Not, it's, not just, it's not for themselves, it's for the group, the family, the body, the church. Those gifts that a nine brings. Now the struggles of a nine are that conflict... Did I do that? <laughs> that was a conflict. And change can make a nine feel very insecure. So they move... Uh, it says against others by becoming passive and disengaged. You sort of disengage because you don't want to face that conflict. Uh, they refuse to get involved. They can hunker down in passive-aggressive ways. Anybody do that ever? <laughs> I see a hand. <laughs> Two hands. Uh, Over-identifying with the image of themselves is settled. They avoid conflict and becoming captive to the idea of peace at any price. Okay. Peace at any price isn't really peace, is it? And they say, what's the big deal? Why get upset? 
settling for what they can get, they ignore what matters most and lose track of their own point of view. They ignore what matters most. Those are some of the struggles that a nine might have. And you might resonate with some of those. Those might ring true. The false self, the false self of a nine is, I always procrastinate if I get around to it. And when nines are out of touch with their true self, they merge their identities and agendas with others and ignore their own feelings, aims, and opinions. They become, hate this word, slothful. Slothful. <laughs> and take the path of least resistance. They go with the flow and do what others want. And if things heat up, nines can disassociate from the conflict, looking for quick fixes, magical solutions. A nine's anger, anger is a problem with the nine. It's there, but it's under the surface. Because to feel anger is not a peaceful thing. Don't we say that to ourselves? I can't, I can't do that. That's a nine. It's really common with a nine. So those are some of the descriptors of true self, false self, and some of the struggles that if you kind of operate and function in that number might feel and do. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. Have I said this yet? I think I'm a nine. Maybe I haven't said that yet. I think I am. I mean, I, I think you can always give yourself the grace as you walk through this to sort of sit with something for a while. I'm going to just put on this nine shirt and walk around for a while and see how it fits. And down the road, that may change. We've had friends who've walked with, I think, this for years, and all of a sudden, no, I think this. And some of that is maturing uh, and becoming more healthy. You sort of start seeing yourself in all of them. But one thing that happens as a nine is that you, you sort of come to your number. You sort of begin to discover by the false self side of it first. Okay, that's where the humbleness comes in and the tendency for condemnation okay, can come in there. Um, if you're being honest and you begin to, and that, that, that's the part of it you have to do is you have to begin to be honest about and not ignore those things that are happening in your life. It's all for transformation. Remember? Transformation. So let me walk you through kind of how I experienced some of those things. And this is really going to be challenging my, a lot of my families here. <laughs> Hi, family. And I may say some things where they may raise their hand. No, wait a minute. You know. No, they're, they're great, but it's good to have them here. <laughs> but conflict avoidance, really easy for me. Um, not wanting to express an opinion contrary to anybody else, therefore not seeing anything as a rule. Now, some people on this diagram love that. <laughs> I'm not going to say who. But, you know, dive into that stuff. And that is, that's where they get life. But not for a nine. Um, but there's, there's also, you know, there's a side of this. Bec because a lot of times you can see both sides. 
And I remember in, in high school, and I was a sophomore, we were in English class, we were having a debate on an issue. And I was on this side, probably one, I was one of the leading, you know, presenting this side for, for this, of the debate, somebody else was presenting this side. And then at the end of the whole debate, the teacher said, okay, now, did anybody want to, did anybody change their mind because of this debate? <laughs> I stuck my hand up. Yeah, because I could see that. I could see that side too. Even though I debated this side, I didn't think about it at the time, but that's, I think that's, that's a nine right there. But that can be a good thing. Um, but it's a downside when you don't present your own opinion and, and be honest about that in order, because you want to avoid conflict. Passive-aggressive? Don't you hate being called passive-aggressive? I don't like it, but it's part of my behavior sometimes. So opinions get expressed indirectly, right? Instead of coming right out in front and speaking something honestly and clearly, it kind of gets shoved down, and instead you do the look. My kids ever seen the look? <laughs> you do it kind of with your body or with your, instead of verbally, uh, you just, so it's kind of a passive-aggressive behavior. And the problem is your anger, your, it's, whatever it is, is going to be eventually exposed anyway and not in the most healthy way. But that's a, that's a false self, that's a tendency of a nine for passive-aggressive behavior. And slothfulness. When I heard that word first related to nine, to what I thought I was, I said, no way. That's, I don't like that. I, just an aside here, there is a band in Bluffton College called the Anabaptist Bestiary Project. It's about creatures. They sing songs about creatures. And they have one about a sloth. And I was going to play it, but it's way too slow. <laughs> <laughs> it's just drags on. But if look it up sometime, it's kind of fun. Um, and I thought, no, that's not me. In fact, when I was young on the farm and my dad would tell me to go get a part, we're working on something over in the other building or something, I'd run over there and then back. And I'd just do that. And he would, I, one day he finally said, I think he, I think he was a nine, maybe. <laughs> you don't have to run everywhere, he said to me one time. So I didn't feel like, you know, that word fit. But you know what? It's not physical. It's, it's a spiritual slothfulness that they're talking about here. And this came home to me when somebody who was a nine said, this is what it looks like for me, slothful. He said, I, I do lots of things. I can do lots of things in order to avoid doing the one thing I should be doing. Very busy, you know, and that's exactly what happened today. But I noticed it, you know, in order to prepare for today, do anything else. Weed the garden, check Facebook, check the weather, watch game four of the NBA Finals. What a waste of time that was. Anything but hunkering down and doing this, right? And all those other things are good and can be good in their place, but it's not the one thing. 
But see, now I begin to notice that. I pay attention to it. I, I can be honest about it. And that's okay. There's no condemnation. There it is. I name it and go on. So, But it still can be there. So knowing all of this about a nine and, and my, knowing this about myself, how do I move towards transformation? How can we move towards transformation in where we are? And that's the goal of life in Christ, right? To be more and more changed, to be more and more Christ-like as we companion with Him. So what helps in that exp- to experience that freedom and lightness that that verse had of walking with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? In all things, right? There are going to be things that um, we experience. Grief, hurt, regret, that's a big one. But in the midst of that, how do we experience love and grace and forgiveness? How can I be open to that and make space for it? Listen for God's voice so that I can, can be transformed. Otherwise, I'm not going to hear it. I'm not going to. Things aren't going to change. So here's what I found out as a nine that helps open those doors and answer some of those questions. One is just some spiritual practices, those intentional acts of of making space to hear God. And for me, one of them was a, a spiritual practice called prayer walking. Prayer walking. Remember. Nine, slothful inertia. Walking kind of goes against that, right? Moves, it's a movement. So getting up. But not just any walking, it's a walking with intention. With intention. And attention. So you're walking intentionally and you're paying attention. Uh, Sometimes I'd come with a need that I had or a prayer. Sometimes not. Just being available to, as I walked, hear God, what God brought across my walking path to see, to hear, to experience. And experiencing all of that is God speaking. But sometimes there was something intentional and a real need. And one of those when we moved back to Illinois was after my dad passed away is what to do on the farm. And so a lot of my prayer walking during that time was with that prayer in mind. Right? In my going. And I walked with a question, what does this land need? What is it saying? And, um, and it eventually, by being attentive to that, uh, I did hear a response. And, and there was a movement forward in, in what to do there. So those kind of practices are very helpful for me as a nine. Another one is a, to create rhythms of life. Sometimes people call it a rule of life where you have these, kind of in your day, you have these, these things kind of there kind of in your schedule that you intentionally do and participate in, but giving yourself grace to change, right, and be flexible. It's not an ironclad thing. And for those, some of those, you know, in the morning includes getting up um, early with Jeannie and I make the coffee and she makes the bed. It's what I call fair trade coffee. <laughs> Sorry, that, I'd have one corny joke. It's my fair trade coffee. Um, so then we listen to this prayer app that's called Pray As You Go. It's from England. Great, you get to hear the, the accents of England and Ireland. 
and they do, uh, they do some songs and read scripture slowly and prayerfully a couple of times and you listen to that. They ask some questions. It's a good way to start, a good rhythm for me, slowing down at the beginning of a day before you just get driving into your day, which you have to do sometimes. Not saying that, but it's a good rhythm. And at the end of the day, then, kind of bookending that with a time of a short time of kind of an examining the day. Where has God been present in this day? And we kind of do that together. Um, and giving thanks for that. These things, you know, as a nine, help me to, to be more discerning, to know what that one thing is, instead of all these other things that God's calling me to do. Another thing I've been doing, and some of you do this, you love, I mean, I, I sort of lean into the one. See, the one is the other, the wing of a peacemaker. So ones like to make lists, lists. And that has actually helped me as a nine because it, it gives me the opportunity to prioritize a little bit and say, this is, this is what I need to do. And, you know, once you find something that keeps moving down the list, you finally decide, I just got to do that. Or it's never going to go away. Um, so lists are fun. And, you know, you know, don't you love, even after you do something sometimes, do you write it down and then cross it out? Yeah, I see. <laughs> Uh, and then there's the great story of Frog and Toad. Who doesn't like Frog and Toad? Frog and Toad, Arnold LaBelle. Frog and Toad. Frog, and I was Toad had a list. Get up, go eat breakfast. Da, da, da. He takes his list and goes outside. The wind blows it away. What happens to Toad? He becomes inert. He, he, there's nothing on his list that says chase my list when the wind blows it away. It's not there. It's not on his list, so he can't do anything. <laughs> He's sort of bound. That's not the purpose of a list. Okay. But it's kind of fun to think about. One last... Okay. So also about the... Okay, conflict avoidance. How do I get beyond that? That's a nine. Well, one book that was really helpful to me was this book with the title of Fierce Conversations. We, we studied this book in our spiritual direction. Did you guys write that book? <laughs> Fierce Conversations. <laughs> you could have. It's a, it's a wonderful book because it, it, uh, it gave me these, these tools of in those kind of conversations, you be honest you be clear and you be graceful. Honesty, clarity, and grace. And so once I get past that inertia of not and desire not to get into those conversations and just start um, and keep those three things in mind, uh, it can be, it was, it's been very helpful. And even before you go into those difficult conversations that you want to avoid, just in your own mind saying, God, what is the real issue here? And how can I be very honest about it? And how can I be very graceful as well? You think of those things, and it, it just makes a lot of difference. Okay. You know, Jesus the peacemaker, we need to say a few words about that. Um, and I did subtitle this, and I'm going to get to that really quickly here, but... Um, 
creating peace in the garden of weeds. And I, like, I struggled with what word to use there. Making peace, being peaceful, creating peace. I like creating because it, to create, to, for peace to happen, it, I think it requires a lot of creativity and imagination. And I think Jesus did that totally. Um, he was good at it. Um, he created peace in lots of ways by restoring the blind man to good health. That definitely brought peace. By driving out those, those spirits in that one guy that were just consuming him brought peace. And even it's interesting, even in the story of Jesus going into the temple and, and, and seeing the vendors and people kind of defiling that place by buying and selling, um, we don't think of that as Jesus bringing peace maybe, but it didn't look like that initially, and I think it doesn't always look like that initially to bring peace, to create peace. But he, you know, he, he threw out the vendors, overturned the tables, a little bit violent there, it sounds like. But he was being honest. This is not right. Okay? And he was being clear. This has to go. This has to stop. And ultimately, I believe, he brought, you know, righteousness, it says in that scripture, to the temple, peace through that. So he was, Jesus is our model in that and is integrated that and was very good at that. And, you know, creating peace can be very simple and small. We're not called to mediate peace in the Middle East. I don't think maybe some of you are. If you are, go do it. <laughs> But I think we, we, we have to look for ways to create peace in very small and ordinary ways like this. I, was, I went to the recycling center last week in Eureka. Pick up a load of stuff. And there's this woman, as I was just finishing and walking away, a woman walked up with five pieces in her hand, a glass jar, styrofoam egg carton, a piece of, another piece of plastic, a milk jug, and a piece of cardboard. She looked very confused. She asked me, she said, I've never been here. I just moved to Eureka. I don't know where to put any of these things. So I was able to tell her there. The cardboard goes there. This piece of plastic goes there. What else did she have? Anyway, three things got... Oh, milk jug. But the glass and the styrofoam, I said, they don't take that here. And then I went into this long spiel about where to take the glass. You drive to Peoria, you go up this road, you go down there, it's behind this shopping mall, and her eyes just glazed over. <laughs> She's new to Eureka, probably doesn't know Peoria. You have to go all the way down there. And in the midst of that, you hear this still small voice. You could take that glass for her. And, uh, and then you hear that other voice. No, that would be dumb. <laughs> she would, why would you do that? You know. But you listen to it and you say, you slow down. You know, I slowed down just enough to hear kind of her anxiety in her voice. I said, you know, I'll take that glass jar for you. I, I got a, four boxes of it in my shed now. I'll just throw it in there and take it to Peoria some other time. Oh, she was so thrilled. Um, and she said, my husband is just She's going to love it when I come home without all this junk. I thought, 
wow, you brought, brought peace into that home. <laughs> Just by doing that simple thing. And then you drive away and then that, that other false self voice comes back and says, why didn't you take that egg carton? You just left that egg carton there. You, cut, you've got a, you, you need egg cartons. But you know, there's grace, right? There's grace. Just let that go. Because that voice comes, you know, that, that's a nine. The voice comes to you and says, you didn't do enough. You did that, but you didn't do that. So you just got to say, ah, sorry. I'm not going to listen. Next time. So here, we're going to finish this way with another story and three questions. And this is back to that subtitle, Creating Peace in the Garden of Weeds. And John brought up the weeding. He's been weeding, bought a new hoe, he told me earlier. And you know, weed, these weeds can be things in ourselves. They can be things in our church family or in our world. Um, they're everywhere and they keep popping up. And that was true in our garden this spring, uh, for sure. They were threatening the better plants, uh, and it, it came time to take action. And I noticed in myself a resistance to that, about doing anything about it. Conflict avoidance, remember? Weeds, conflict, weeding. So, but I did hear this, I needed to hear, and I did hear a still small voice. Actually, it was Jeannie's this time. He said, we need to get out there and do some weeding. So I listened to the voices, that voice, and I, we do need to get out there. It's okay to acknowledge, you know, a resistance to something and to notice that, pay attention to that, because then you can respond to it. And, uh, and, you know, I would much rather sit in my easy chair with my lemonade and my magic weed zapper and do it that way, um, but that's not going to work. It, so I went and I created, you know, to create peace in the garden of weeds, what you know, I'd think, what tools, you know, um, uh, did I need for that? Um, Kurt's tractor probably would be too big. Uh, Gary's tiller would be too big. Uh, even John's hoe was too big. In this case, because the weeds were right in the road, you had to sit, you had to kneel on the ground. We had to kneel. Sometimes when you're creating peace, you've got to just do that and say, God, here I am, I need help. I'm gonna get down on my knees and get dirty with this. We actually, the ground was so mellow, you could actually just go like this, kind of like a cultivator with your hands, pull out the weeds for hours and hours. There was some violence, we had to pull out weeds after all, you know, um, to get peace. We had to say no to them. We had to create space uh, for the good plants. And that requires discernment. You have to know what a weed is and what a good plant is, right? And sometimes, and this is another thing about discernment, and there are good plants that have to be taken out because it's not the best. This tomato is the best. This sunflower that grew up here on its own has to go. It's, not, it's a good plant, but it's got to go. What is the better thing? So we pull the weeds. Um... It's an imperfect process. We're going to leave some behind. We're going to have to get out there again and do it some more. But it's an opportunity for Thanksgiving. Thanks for the better plant, the good plants that are there, for the God sustaining us in the hard work and for the rest when we were done. So I think we'll have one more 
Yeah, remember spiritual transformation, Eric put this up last time, is the process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God, for the abundance of our own lives and for the sake of others. Just a reminder. That's what this is about. So as we follow Jesus, we're, I think we're able to find those spaces to find our true selves. And then we're able, of course, to create that, help to create that peace for others and in our world. So we start there. We find time for the lasting and real things. And we start back to where we started with following Jesus in that and allowing ourselves to be transformed personally. So I have three questions as we close. And these are questions, I've already alluded to one that a nine has, that we can often have. And and they could indicate kind of where you land in this. I think Eric mentioned the triads or the, the Enneagram is divided into three parts. The gut, the mind, and the heart. And some of these questions, these questions, te- you, you tend in one of these tries to lean more towards one of these questions than any others. And so as, as we close, um, I'm going to read these in a couple of ways. One of them is, have I done enough? Am I enough? Or will I have enough? And we may need, with God's help, to create peace with one of them. All of them, ultimately. But there may be one that is more pressing for you. So as I close, the invitation for us is if you'd like, but however you want to receive this is either to close your eyes or to listen as I read them again and you're invited then to pay attention to which one really resonates with you, which one strikes you deeply, if you're honest and facing reality. And I'll read them and then leave just a short time of space for silence. And in that silence, we're invited also to imagine Jesus coming with grace in whatever fear, anger, shame you might feel in that. And saying to you those words of Matthew eleven twenty-eight, and, and uh, the Luke passage. Just follow me. So I'll read them again. Have I done enough? Am I enough? Will I have enough?
As we close, I'm going to read a prayer, a Celtic prayer that's um, actually a morning prayer, but we'll use it for our closing today and as our prayer. <clears throat> 